Hi, everybody. I'm Rick Nelson, and welcome to PSYCOP Talks Winter Ops, the podcast devoted to all things winter maintenance. If you're new to PSYCOP, Ashto's Snow and Ice Cooperative Program, you may not realize that PSYCOP got its start from a recommendation made in response to a winter maintenance scan of some European and Nordic countries many years ago. In addition to the many ideas about equipment and salting strategies the scanning team brought back to the U.S., the extent to which these countries relied on contractors to perform their winter maintenance was a surprise. While there are a few states here in the U.S. that are contracting for winter maintenance, the vast majority of agencies are self-performing this work. However, due to limited resources, many are augmenting their own forces with contracted equipment and operators, temporary employees to operate their equipment, and other innovative means to meet their level of service goals. I bumped into Dan Erickson of the Swedish Road Administration at an annual meeting of the Transportation Research Board, and we had an interesting conversation about how winter maintenance is accomplished in his home country of Sweden. He has some unique insights after living through the transition from self-performed winter maintenance to contracting for that service, and we wanted to share that conversation with you. I hope you enjoy this episode as PSYCOP Talks Winter Ops with Dan Erickson. Welcome, Dan. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I've been in maintenance area since 1989, uh, more or less uh, all the time uh, with winter as a base. I'm born and raised in the town where we have the head office. Okay. And uh, we, we, we normally have a lot of winter, but climate is changing, so we we see that we, we have different weather occasions now compared to when I started in the late 80s. Now, you're, you're no stranger to uh, winter maintenance in the U.S. We've, we've been bumping into each other for, for many years, and, and there's, there's quite a, a lengthy relationship between Sweden and, and the U.S., and we were talking about that just a little bit with the uh, connection with the, the Minnesota DOT. Absolutely. Uh, when I was working in the production division in uh, early 90s, uh, I had the possibility to meet Mark Vikelius, who came over to Sweden and uh, saw how we were doing this maintenance operations. Uh, during, he was actually at me in the middle of the night when we had a really heavy snowfall. So that was the first experience I had with with Mark and uh, Minnesota. And after that, I went into to the Aurora Group and were involved in that between '96 up until 2006. As I understand it, uh, a lot of the maintenance activities. In uh, in Sweden, well, all of them really have been been contracted out over the years. Uh, that's kind of a unique model for for us here in the U.S. And maybe you could talk a little bit about the, that evolution and and how it got started. Yeah, and I I had the the possibility to see both the the old organization and what came out after it, and I've been in the evolution, so to speak. When I started, <clears throat> we we. We knew that we had to make uh, larger maintenance areas. At that time when I started, we had over 230 small maintenance areas, uh, one supervisor in, in every uh, of those, and we had 25 counties responsible, and the, we had one head office. And 
1992, we divided buyer and, and uh, performer. So I was in the production division at, from 92 and up until 95 when I went into the head office. And during that time, well, we were trying to start to work as contractors. We have been doing everything in-house, but then they started to outsource and, and put all the contracts out in competition. So if we look now, the, the production division right now, they have approximately 50% and they had 100 from the beginning. Mm. So they have uh, lost uh, a lot. But on the other hand, a lot of people that were working in those contracts, they have uh, got pension. So they okay. have retired. Okay. Now, so you, uh, how long do, you, do your contracts run for? Uh, normally they run for four years and then you have an option for two-year extension. Okay. And, and most of the time, they, they run all the six years. So every, more or less, we, we during a five-year period, we we put out the, the contracts out in, in competition again. So uh, right now, when, when, we, when we divided the, the organization in buyer and producer, then the, these over 230 maintenance areas dropped down to 140. Hmm. Was and it they, because and they got bigger, or they got bigger, and they got fewer, and, and we also got from twenty-five counties down to seven regional organizations, and and uh, right now we have one hundred and ten maintenance areas, and uh, we now <clears throat> we have one uh, national organization for for maintenance. Uh, and that didn't happen up until 2008. So uh, almost 10 years we have had uh, one national organization. Before that, we we still had the regions, and they were responsible for for a lot of performed uh, maintenance. Hmm. Now, you, uh, I know uh, the Swedish Road Administration is is very. Um, enthusiastic about research. Uh, when it comes to winter maintenance, uh, you all have done some some outstanding research. Um, it, so with your contracts and, and your interest in, in moving things forward, um, how, does, how does the work that you do, the research work that you do, translate into, you know, either change specifications or um, you know, for example, the anti-icing work and things like that. Do you, do you actually dictate to the contractors how they're going to do their business, or how no, does that work? No, but we <coughs> we try to put some seed money in the, the business, so uh, all the contractors really could see and, and pick up the the best uh, solutions and, and use those in the contracts. But we never tell the contractor when and how they decide themselves how to treat the problems. We have a service level that they are going to, to meet, but how they do it, uh, it's up to the contractor, actually. But, but when we, we see that we, we need to find new ways to, to solve the problems, then we go in with some seed money in, in the R&D just to, to well, make a check. Is this a, a possible way of, of moving the... <coughs> The organization uh, forward, or uh, have we sometimes, or, or m most of the times when you're dealing with R and D, 
you find a dead end. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but that is also a knowledge to know that okay, no one else should go into that road because it it ends somewhere. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so so uh, you all, I think that's just a, a bit of a success that you found this wasn't the right way. Mm-hmm. I don't see a problem with that, but some people think that you always you get get lucky out of everything. But well, you you find yeah. those blind streets sometimes. Now, do your contractors are they? Are they pretty willing to to try new things, and, or or is it just purely driven by the bottom line? Yeah, absolutely, they they are interested, but we still need to put the seed money in. Uh, if if they don't have an incentive to find uh, something that they can uh, save money, then they don't. Mm-hmm. Why should they? Yeah. So, well, so so if we if we have. Uh, for example, we, we can have uh, concerns about the environment impact and so on. Well, if if we want them to work with, with a special method, then we have to pay for that special method. But most of the times we, we don't even have to tell them what type of method they should use. They, they use as less hmm. material. Now, as they now need do to. you get do you get good competition with your with your contracts? You know, we, we talked about um, for example, in in uh, England, you know they own the equipment. The, the highway authority owns the equipment, and the highway authority owns the the garages, the maintenance yards. So when a contractor comes in, you know they don't have to acquire all this new equipment and 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 the yards and all of that. Is is that the way that's handled in Sweden, or is it different? No, they they own all their equipment, and they decide where they want to have their location, where they are going to have their small offices, and so on. We never go into that discussion. It's up to themselves to <clears throat> to make that decision. So over the years, we have seen that. Uh, the old garages where I started to work in, some of them are sold, uh, some of them are even teared down. So, well, that's what happens, mm-hmm. and and uh, they they found new new places to to have their locations. I don't see a problem with that. Now, uh, I know that uh, mobility is a really important thing in Sweden, and you you know you you're up north, you know you get a lot of winter time yeah. and um, so when it comes to things like um, uh, walking and cycling and, and so on are, are you all responsible for keeping those paths clear in the winter time as well absolutely and, and uh, I think we, we even have higher standards on the walking and bicycling and, and the municipalities they are, are really eager to get rid of the snow on the bicycle lanes before they start to plow the city roads. A lot of people are using bicycle the year round in Sweden. And <clears throat> as a matter of fact, the Christmas present of the year, that was an electric bike. So a lot of people are investing <laughs> and <clears throat> it makes it much easier to do those short transports on a bicycle mm-hmm. instead of using the car. So things are happening very faster. So I imagine you've got some some interesting uh, experiences and and uh, research with respect to uh, walking paths and bicycle paths and that sort of thing. Absolutely, and we, and we use the researchers in Linköping at VTI because they are doing a lot of research. Uh, most uh, of the research actually for the cities, but we look at the results and, and how they are treating and, and using 
brush and sodium chloride brine to, to treat the, the surface so you have a, a non-slippery bicycle road during the winter time. When you don't have so much snow, more rain and creating a lot of slipperiness, then it's more effective to sweep it out with a broom mm-hmm. and then spread the, the salt brine. Now, when, when, you're, when you were talking about levels of service and, and yeah. the, the performance-based contracts, yeah. um, what are some examples of your levels of service? Are, are you talking about like friction or whether the roads are bare or... Yeah, all, all types of, of those figures are in, in the, the detailed description of, of the service and the standard that that should meet. And uh, we, we did divide it into different categories depending on the coldness of the surface. I mean, if it's uh, below minus 12 Celsius, then we don't <laughs> say that they should use... Uh, it should be a bare road, then we have a friction value. But if it's warmer than minus 12, then we should have a bare pavement. And, and the only way to, to get there, that is to use uh, sodium chloride. Yeah, okay. And sodium chloride is also the only uh, chemical that we allow in winter maintenance. Oh, really? We, we only use sodium chloride. Yeah. Well, that's, 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 kind of, that's interesting. Um, I know I had an opportunity to go to one of the PyArt conferences in uh, Lulia. Yeah. And I was really sort of surprised that, that the roads weren't bare. Uh, you know, like you say, it was quite cold and, you know, just maintain the friction and, and groom the roads and people use winter tires. and Yeah, and at that time, they also were showing those hot stone. You remember that? I do. <coughs> yeah. And that was the first PyArc meeting that I had the possibility to participate in. Yeah. So, so I also saw those tests. <clears throat> Things has uh, get more in, in uh, better uh, talking about those hot stones. It became hot water and spreading sand, so uh, creating good friction. And, and it stays long, right? And then the, I think the whole premise behind that was if you heat up the stone or you you know you apply some thermal energy to it when it when it goes to the snowpack, it it sort of melts itself in and becomes part of that matrix of yeah of uh, you know that you're driving on. Uh, I, I when I heard um, the the presentation about the hot water and sand, it was like. They're stupid. They're wow! Up. But, but when, I, when I was talking with, with uh, elderly people, they said that, okay, we were using water and, and gravel uh, in the early 40s. or f- So they have done that before, but now we use hot water and then spread sand. Norwegians are, are very good at this. So we, we, we try to, to help each other between Sweden and Norway. To, to find uh, new ways of uh, tre- treating the slipperiness on the low volume roads, mm-hmm. yeah, because there you have uh, also a big challenge, uh, also due to uh, the, the enormous variations in the weather. You can have snowfall one day and then it goes over to rain, and then you've got freezing ice layers and so on, and try to create something that will will be safe and, and possible to to travel on 
that's a challenge because it takes a long time and you don't go many miles with only a cubic meter or so or so then you have to go a sand and then you have to go back to yeah. the garage again so it's a logi- yeah. logistic challenge really so what are the exciting things on the horizon with respect to winter maintenance in Sweden what should we be looking for like in the next couple three years yeah that's a good question I think we <coughs> we will have something that is describing I mean I've been working with Arvis uh, since I started in the, the road administration and uh, at the Arvis sites we have really good information from all the sensors and all the cameras and so on how the, the road conditions uh, looks like but between those sites the, the road condition and the surface conditions and how the the vehicle uh, actually defines the, the surface I mean that type of, of information getting uh, into a system back to the maintenance contractor so he has more pieces in the puzzle to decide when and where to do something. I think that is something that is will be coming very soon. Some people call it <coughs> big data, a lot of information. And the connected vehicles. And, yes, and, well, know, yeah. We, we all become one, right? Absolutely. But I, I think if the, the contractors get more pieces in the weather puzzle, they are going to make even better decisions than they do right now. Um, I saw a presentation from one of your colleagues uh, here at TRB about some uh, dynamic route uh, optimization work that's being done uh, where you would actually um, redefine the snowplow routes based on the kind of winter uh, a particular storm condition, so we're we're dynamically sending them to the right places at the right time. I I think that's going to be a really interesting thing to watch. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and uh, <clears throat> when when we have much better uh, definitions of where we are going to have the weather occasions, uh, not in the whole maintenance area, only a part, th- then it will be more useful uh, to to the contractor to. Only use the 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 amount of, of cars that he really needs. It doesn't have to put out the whole fleet to 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 go over all the road networks. Only where is needed. Right, I, and I, and that you know, will save material. On, it will save money uh, in the end as well. Yeah, it's all about being the most effective you can with yeah. with the least amount of resources that you need. Yeah. Well, Don, thanks for sitting down and uh, and talking with me about what's happening in winter maintenance in Sweden. I really appreciate your time and your insights. And Don't be a stranger. Maybe we'll have to catch up again in another year or so and see how things have panned out. I hope so. All right. Thank you. You bet.